Matthew chapter 3 tonight, page 1113. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. Lord, we turn our attention now to your word, and I ask that you would speak to us in a wonderful way tonight. We thank you that we have your word, and I pray that it would convict those of us who need conviction, it would comfort those of us who need comfort and courage. Help us to grow stronger in our walks with you. Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we officially begin the public ministry of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels of the New Testament. And the public ministry of Jesus officially begins with the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And that's our text tonight, only five verses. Let's read through it. Look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is such an important moment in history. And this is such an important passage in the scripture. There's much to be learned. There's theology to be learned from this passage. The theological doctrine of the Trinity is on clear display in this passage. All three members of the Godhead are at work. Did you notice that? In our passage, you have Jesus, God the Son, being baptized. You have God the Holy Spirit descending upon God the Son. And then you have God the Father speaking from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That is the Trinity. The living God of the Bible is a triune God. One God, 
three persons. The word Trinity means tri-unity. Three in one. It's a doctrine that says simply this. There is only one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct from each other. Or, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Got it? We can all move on now. Do you got that? It's, it's a mystery, isn't it? It's hard for us to even fathom. In fact, we can't really comprehend it with our finite brains. And I'm glad we have a God who's mysterious, aren't you? God himself says in his word, to us, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But the doctrine of the Trinity, though hard to understand exactly how it works, is absolutely essential. If you don't believe the doctrine of the Trinity as presented in the Bible, then you get in trouble. In fact, most of the major cults are cults because they have a misunderstanding of the Trinity. So if you're ever witnessing to somebody or somebody would want to dispute the doctrine of the Trinity, bring them to this passage and have them explain it. The Bible says a thousand times the Father is God. Hundreds of times the Son is God. Hundreds of times the Spirit is God. And here we have all three of them at work. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, this passage also gives us very practical instruction concerning the ordinance that the church is supposed to keep called water baptism. Water baptism. Many of you know this evening that uh, the mode of baptism has been a hot topic throughout church history. Christians have debated how somebody is to be baptized. Somebody says sprinkling. Somebody says pouring. Maybe another denomination says by immersion. What is the true mode of water baptism? Well, I think it's very clear in the scripture that John the Baptist's mode of baptism was full immersion. People came out to him where? To the Jordan River, a body of water. They got in and he dunked people. The Jews, when they baptized proselytes into Judaism, they did it by full immersion. In fact, if you ever go to Israel... Any village that you visit that had any Jewish presence whatsoever in it in ancient times has a synagogue and a little area called the mikvah. Mikvah is a purifying ritual bath area where they would go through their purification rituals. And that is where people were baptized as proselytes into Judaism. 
baptism by immersion. Jesus was baptized by immersion. In Mark's gospel, it specifically says that Jesus went into the water. The Greek is down into the water. And in Mark's gospel and here in verse 16, it says he came up from the water. He was dumped in and he came out. So I believe that the biblically preferred mode of water baptism is by immersion. And... It's a great picture of what happens to a person when they get saved. You know, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there's a great miracle that takes place in your life. You're joined with Jesus. Paul says in Romans 6, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. You have been joined to Jesus Christ, identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection. When you come to Christ, the old you, the old sinful you, dies with Christ. His payment for your sin. And then the new you rises. And that is a very perfect picture, or that I, sh- I should say this way, that's best symbolized by immersion. When you are dunked into the water, it's a picture of you dying. And when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of you rising to new life. The perfect symbol. So, at Calvary Chapel, Sun City, that is the preferred mode of water baptism. We dunk people, okay? We use immersion. Now, that's not to say that I haven't made exceptions over the years. There's been several times where somebody who's elderly or sick or bedridden has wanted to be baptized. And I will certainly go and sprinkle in a case like that fully explaining water baptism. A few years ago, we even had um, a lady who was just deathly afraid of going underwater. It was just a fearful thing for her. So what we did is we bended her back to her head, touched the water. And then we poured water right over her head. And that was the way we did it. It's the heart that matters, right? Understanding what it represents. So the mode of baptism, Jesus was immersed. There have been other debates throughout church history as to what age a person should be baptized. There are some church denominations that sprinkle babies, sprinkle infants. I believe that water baptism is for adults. It is for people who know what they are doing. Jesus was 30 years old when he got baptized. When you read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, it's with adult men and women that are mostly being baptized. Infants, not so. Maybe you're here tonight and you were baptized as an infant. Do you remember that? 
Was that a special moment for you? Well, you might look back at the pictures. It may have been meaningful to your parents and all the family that gathered. But it certainly wasn't meaningful for you. You don't remember it. And I believe that baptism is for people who understand what they are doing. Now, our age limit here at Calvary is seven years old. We think by seven, a child can understand, and we work with the parents to make sure that that is so. But we want people to know what they're doing. Also, I believe the New Testament clearly teaches that baptism is for believers. Believers get baptized. You don't become a believer by being baptized. It's not like you get in a pool as an unbeliever. We baptize you and poof, you're a believer. Water baptism is for believers. Jesus was certainly a believer. In the book of Acts. They're baptized after they place their faith in Jesus Christ. Water baptism is for believers, and it is a public witness, a public proclamation of their faith. Hey, I've died to Christ. I've died to sin, and I've been raised with Christ. I have given my life to Jesus. And so that is why we only baptize. Believers, we make sure that there are believers. So at Calvary, baptism by immersion, baptism for adults or an age-appropriate level when they know what they're doing, and baptism for believers as an expression of their belief. So theological info in this passage and very practical Info in this passage concerning the ordinance we call baptism. Now, the big question concerning this passage. Why was Jesus baptized? Why did he come to John the Baptist in the Jordan River to be baptized? And I want you to notice, he went out of his way. Verse 13 says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. So Jesus is from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. John's baptizing in the wilderness area down by uh, the Dead Sea. It's a 60-mile journey. Jesus made a big-time effort to be baptized. Now, Why would Jesus have to be baptized? We studied the ministry of John the Baptist last week, and you remember his baptism was for what? It was a repentance of sin kind of thing. People would come to hear John. uh, He would expose them as sinners. They would be required to repent of their sins and then showing their repentance by being baptized in the Jordan. They're being washed cleansed of their sin. It's a symbolic thing. Jesus hasn't sinned. Jesus is without sin. He's the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, never committed one sin in thought, 
uh, word or deed, the perfect, holy lamb of God from heaven. Everyone's coming to John repenting for sin and being baptized. Why would Jesus be baptized? And, and you can even see John has a dilemma, right? John says, why are you coming to me? I should be getting baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus acknowledges the dilemma here, doesn't he? Jesus answered to him, verse 15, I know it's weird, but permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, what's going on here? All right, there are five very important truths about the baptism of Jesus that I want you to see tonight. And first of all, obedience. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist in obedience to the Father. We know that Jesus never did anything unless his father commanded him to do it. He was baptized in obedience to the father. The father said, you will be baptized in the Jordan River. And so he went and he got baptized. He obeyed the Lord. Now, we are commanded to baptize and we are commanded to be baptized as Christians. Jesus shows us the example of obedience. And so I really want to challenge some of you tonight. If you are a born-again Christian here tonight, and you have never been baptized in water as a believer in Christ, then you need to obey the Lord and get baptized. Maybe you're here tonight and you were one of those who was sprinkled as an infant, baptized as an infant. And since that time, you have given your life to the Lord. You become born again. Now you know what it's all about, what salvation is. I would highly encourage you to obey the Lord and get baptized in water. We will have a baptism in a couple months. Make your public profession of faith. Be baptized. Jesus is modeling for us obedience. Okay, secondly, the baptism of Jesus was the public introduction of Jesus. This is when Jesus was revealed. This is when Jesus came out of obscurity. For 30 years, Jesus has been living in obscurity. He's been living in Nazareth, working as a carpenter in a carpenter shop, taking care of his family. Nobody knew anything about him. Now, here, at this key moment, he is introducing himself. It's the reveal, it's the activation. 
You know, when uh, politicians decide that they want to run for something, they announce their candidacy, do they do that in private? Normally, what do they do? They have a big event. They have a big gathering on, on you know, the steps of City Hall, big presser. So-and-so has announced his candidacy for whatever office. This is sort of what is happening with Jesus at his baptism. I'm going public. Remember that John the Baptist has been baptizing people, and they've been asking him, are you the Messiah? And John keeps saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. The one that comes after me is the Messiah. He will be much mightier than I am. He will baptize with fire, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy to loosen his sandal straps. When Jesus comes on the scene here, he's telling the people publicly, I'm the one that John has been talking about. I am the Messiah. I am the one who will baptize with fire. I am the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I'm here. My ministry has begun. A clear reveal. And by the way, supernatural affirmation. This is the public introduction of Jesus as Messiah. And heaven opens up. The sky splits. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him and alights upon him. And God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Everything that was pointing to Jesus. Everything that John was saying. The Messiah has now come on the scene. This is when it's off to the races. This is when it kicks off. Okay. This is also... The moment that Jesus personally accepted and embraced his mission as the Messiah. This is when he said, I'm stepping up. My ministry has begun. I accept. I embrace what I've been sent here. To do. You remember the, the TV show Mission Impossible? You remember they made that quote famous? Your mission should you choose to accept it. Jesus accepted the mission here. This is Jesus saying, my father sent me here to represent him, to heal people, to do miracles, and to teach truth. I accept that. I move forward. I begin. And I want you to understand something. When Jesus accepted the mission, he knew what was coming. He knew how it would end. 
He knew that he was sent to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He knew that he would be delivered up. He knew that he would be crucified on a cross. He knew that he would take the sins of the world upon him. He knew that he would experience the wrath of God. He knew the suffering and the pain and the sacrifice and the sweat and the tears and the crown of thorns and the beatings, everything. He knew it in advance. And he said at his baptism, mission accepted. I will go forth. I will do this. And if you can think it, think about it this way. When he was baptized in the Jordan River, it was prefiguring what he would actually do. As he goes under the water, that which signifies death, he knew his death was coming. As he's raised up from the water, it prefigured his resurrection. That's why I say I think this is one of the most key moments in all of history. The Son of God took the task. I admire so much his courage, don't you? And to think that he said, mission accepted. So that a guy like Terry Gray could be forgiven of his sins one day. Don't forget, Jesus was never surprised. He knew exactly what he was getting into. To save us. And I think this is such a beautiful key moment. And I love him for it, don't you? I'll walk that path. I'll walk that journey. I'll carry that cross. Okay. The baptism of Jesus Christ by John is also one of identification. In his baptism, Jesus was identifying himself with the sinful human race. Though he was without sin, though he is sinless, perfect, innocent, holy, at his baptism, he's choosing to identify himself with sinners. And I think that's what he's getting at in verse 15 when he says to John, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, listen. In the courtroom of God, all humans are sinners. In the courtroom of God, all sinners must repent. In the courtroom of God, all sinners must be washed, cleansed, forgiven of their sin. Though without sin, though without needing to repent, though without needing to be washed, Jesus here is identifying himself with people who do.
identifying himself with the sinful human race. And again, when I think of his courage at the baptism, my heart swells with love for him. But it also swells with love for him because of this idea that he relates with us. He identifies with us. And I think that's what makes Christianity so beautiful and so better than any other religion. And all these other religions, their gods are mysterious. They're distant. They're aloof. They don't understand the human race. In the Christian religion, God totally understands. The human race. God the Son became human. Identifies with us. We have a God who knows what it's like to be a teenager. (laughs) We have a God who knows what it's like to get tired. To experience pain and suffering in life. We have a God who knows exactly what it's like to work hard day by day trying to make ends meet. We have a God who knows what physical hunger is and physical thirst and pain and suffering. He knows it. He knows grief. And he is identified with the human race. He knows what it's like to walk around in a fallen world. He's been there. And ultimately, ultimately, Jesus will take our sins, literally our sins, upon himself. And die on the cross for our sins. Experience the judgment of God for our sins in our place. What a God we serve. I love that that title for God the Son, the Messiah in the Old Testament, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God right there with us. It's fitting. I'm identifying with the sinful human race that I came to save. Permit it now. There was a man who was in the military and he tells of a horrific training time that they once had. Their commander got them out basically in the middle of the night while it's raining. It's a, it's a rainstorm. It, it, the, the, the firing range is a muddy mess. And he had them all get out there and flat on their stomachs in the mud, reloading and shooting. And so one guy's up shooting, and when he was un, you know, out of arsenal, he reaches back, and he, you know, the guy behind him gives him some more ammunition and like that. And he said he was doing that, and he just hated his commander. Why would he do that? And then by chance, as he reached back to get another reload, he looked back, and it was his commander. 
flat in the mud, passing shells. The commander was at one with his men. And from that time on, this guy said, I was ready to follow that man, even to death. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. He's in the mud with us. Don't you see that? He's in the trenches. He knows your world. He's been there. He identifies. I heard another story about a a grandfather who was visiting his daughter and her family. And uh, he went into his grandson's room, little Davy. And little Davy was in a crib. And Davy said, Grandpa. And he ran out, pulled Davy out of the playpen. They got some toys out and they started playing together. And a few minutes later, the mom came in and said, Davy, what are you doing out of your crib? What are you doing out of your playpen? You were naughty. You're being punished. You need to be back in that playpen. And so she grabbed him and put him back in the playpen. And he started screaming and wailing. And how do you think Grandpa felt, right? How awkward is that? Well, you know what he did? Granddad climbed into the pen. And started playing. I think that's such a beautiful picture. That's what happened in our lives. The day Jesus came. He walked into the wilderness of our lives. Becoming one with us. Accepting the restrictions of life in human form. Accepting our punishment. And suffering our pain. That's the God we serve. Hebrews chapter 4 says of Jesus, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I think we see that humble desire to identify at his baptism. Okay, there's one other thing going on at the baptism of Jesus that I want you to see. And I think this is so important for us as Christians. At the baptism of Jesus, Jesus is being empowered for ministry. This is the reveal. This is his introduction. He accepts the mission. And at his baptism, I believe he was empowered for the ministry. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes out of heaven and alights right upon him. And I believe it's at this moment that Jesus, the Son of God, was empowered, set apart, anointed for the ministry that he was called to do. Now, Jesus, as the Son of God, was full of the Holy Spirit in the womb from birth all the way up to the age of 30. 
But I believe it's at his baptism that he was specifically empowered and anointed for the ministry that he would do. In fact, we're told in Luke's account of this. Let me just read it to you. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in you and I am well pleased. At that moment of his baptism... His introduction, his acceptance, it says he was praying. And after his prayer, the Holy Spirit. It's hard to completely understand this. Because remember, Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. Fully human. And in his fully humanness... He did ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the man who lived under the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit like nobody else could. I believe that Jesus in his public ministry taught in the power of the Holy Spirit to full measure. He healed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. He had faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the example for us in ministry. And that is that you need to absolutely be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think this was that that key moment. Christian, I want to challenge us tonight with this idea. If you want to be uh, useful in ministry, if you want to be a, a, a witness for Jesus Christ, an effective one, then you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You must be in a, in a sense where the Holy Spirit is flowing in you and through you. You can't do ministry in the power of your own flesh. I mean, you can, but it won't be all that successful. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to alight on you. Now, I want you to remember what happened with the 12 disciples. You remember? In the Gospels, Peter, James, and John, what were they like? Were they powerful? I mean, they were somewhat powerful, and you admire their faith and their commitment. They're with Jesus. But man, you read the Gospels, and you get a lot of blooper reels, don't you? What did Peter do? He was afraid to witness in in front of servant girls. Peter was always opening his mouth at the wrong time. James and John, you remember, they wanted Jesus to call down fire upon the Samaritans. In the flesh, operating in the flesh, always running into issues. They were men that loved Jesus, but they were not empowered. So Jesus 
dies on the cross, rises again the third day, and right before he ascends to heaven, he gives them their commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that's quite a task, don't you think, to these guys. I'm calling you to go out into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. And so Jesus then ascends, and what do they do now? Do they go right out and start doing that task? No, because you remember Jesus also told them this before he ascended. Don't do anything yet. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I've given you a great commandment, a great task, a great commission. Don't do anything. Go to Jerusalem. Hang out. Wait. For what? An empowerment. An endowment of power. And so they obeyed. They went to the temple or they went into Jerusalem and they waited up in the upper room. 120 of them. Remember Jesus had also promised them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You just wait. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be witnesses to me. The power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And then what happens in Acts chapter 2? They're waiting in the upper room. They're praying. The wind. The church is born. The Holy Spirit is given forth. What happens? Tongues of fire sitting upon each of the disciples. Like the dove alighting. At that moment, they were empowered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And what happened? There was evidence. They went out, they began to preach. They spoke in tongues that other people couldn't understand or that they themselves didn't understand, but other people could. And now they're completely different men in the book of Acts. Completely different. Now Peter is boldly proclaiming the gospel message in front of the very crowd that had Jesus crucified. Healing. The prayer of faith. Salvation, empowered ministry by men and women who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so too, my friend, listen, so too, my brother and sister in Christ, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, to be a witness, to do ministry. And I believe that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is available. 
I believe the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, maybe others would call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is absolutely essential for us as we do ministry and as we attempt to live the Christian life. It's too hard. You can't do it on your own. The New Testament teaches that you have been given a gift from the Holy Spirit, a supernatural gift. There's an illustration that I've used many, many times over the years, and I'd like to just kind of share that again tonight. I believe that the Holy Spirit is with every single person on the planet. The Holy Spirit is with every single person on the planet. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come forth and he will convict what? The world. And then I believe that the Holy Spirit is inside other people on the planet called Christians. And then I also believe that the Holy Spirit is literally flowing through, overflowing other people on the planet, and these are Christians that are being empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry. The illustration I've used before, let's pretend I have a full pitcher of water over here, and I have an empty glass over here. The empty glass is you. The pitcher full of water is the Holy Spirit. Before you get saved, the Holy Spirit is with you. Convicting you, trying to get your attention. You say yes to Jesus. You get saved. What happens? The water's poured in. And you are filled to the top. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are filled. With, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, head to toe. Filled to the top with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good to know? Amen. Okay, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit is when you keep pouring the water. And what happens? It's just just an overflow. Just gushing. As Jesus said in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it says this he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. There's this overflowing. There's this pouring out. There's this gushing forth. And it's experiential. And it's important. And it's necessary. You say, well, I want to be overflowing in the Holy Spirit. How do you do it? Ask him. Christian, there's got to come a time in your life where you say, you know, I I, I want, and it's not so much that you want more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of you. Where you confess that you need him. You ask him to, to, to not just fill your life, but overflow your life. And in the book of Acts, you see the disciples who are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
several times throughout the book of Acts, they pray again for a fresh filling, a fresh overflowing. So it's not like this one-time thing. I think as Christians, every morning, we should say, Holy Spirit, overflow my life. Empower me today. Flow through me. Show me the gift you've given me. Show me your calling upon my life. He'll show you. He will. He'll show you exactly where you fit, exactly where you've been anointed, exactly where you've been called. Pray, ask, receive by faith. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If your son asks you for a piece of bread, would you give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Nothing to be afraid of. You ask him by faith. We have to have his empowerment. You know, I think some... Some Christians have seen a lot of abuse, the, the whole idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. and You know, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and, and I don't know, fireworks go off. Slain in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, dancing around the parking lot. You know, I think there's a lot of weird stuff that's blamed on the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean you throw out what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life. And I'm telling you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is utterly essential. Open your heart. Ask him. Oh, but what if he gives me the gift of tongues? So what? That's cool. That can happen. Be open. What does the Holy Spirit want to do in and through you? Okay, I want to I want to I want to wrap it up, and I just want to wrap it up with four applications for us as Christians. Number one, I want to remind you: if you have not been baptized in water, what are you going to do? You're going to get baptized in water. You're going to obey. Number two. Jesus went public. Have you gone public as a Christian? Or are you that Christian that's sort of like, you know, the secret agent Christian? You you run around in camouflage. You don't want anybody to know that you're a Christian. You're in the closet. Go public for Jesus. 
stand for him publicly. What are you hiding? You know, the, Jesus said, if, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. Don't be embarrassed. Don't hide. Stand strong for the Lord. Go public right in that circle of friends that you hang out with. Go public right in that office where you work. Go public at that school. Go public in your family. Live out loud for Christ. Amen? Third, Jesus accepted the mission and he embraced it. And I would encourage all of us as Christians tonight to accept and embrace the mission that Jesus has for you. What has he called you to do? Do you know what he's called you to do? Are you seeking him for what he's called you to do? Find out what it is. Embrace it. And then fourth, Jesus was empowered for ministry. We need to be empowered for ministry. I would encourage you this evening. Maybe it's been a long time since you've asked for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. I'd invite you to pray. Seek him. In fact, let's, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Lord, I fear that as that many of us, we, we don't even recognize the resources, the power that's available to us. And we live these poor, defeated lives. Lord, your word says that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That you have filled us with your Holy Spirit and that you want to overflow our lives in the Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would examine our lives tonight. Lord, if there's activity in our lives that's quenching your Holy Spirit, that's grieving your Holy Spirit, we repent of them. And Lord, fill us afresh. Overflow our lives. It's too hard. It's too frustrating doing it on our own. We need you. And I'm going to ask, let's all stand together. And I want us just to lead us in a prayer. Let's just have a few moments of silence. And I want you to have an opportunity. Just you. You cry out for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit tonight.
Lord, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here, including myself. Our worship leaders, our pastors, our children's ministry teachers, our ushers, our greeters, our elders. Lord, I do pray for a fresh move of your Holy Spirit among your people. I do pray that we would be filled with you. And Lord, even by faith right now, we ask that your spirit would fill us and overflow our lives. Gift us, anoint us, use us. Be that living water that gushes forth from our lives. I pray that it would be so at church. I pray that it would be so in our families, in our marriages, in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, in our community. Lord, how desperately this world needs a spirit-filled church. Your people, moving in great faith, moving in power. And so, Lord, by faith, we ask. In Jesus' name.